everybody. This is Mark Scott. Thanks for joining me today. Our seventh episode of the Closer Than You Think podcast on Substack continues our 10-part series on the book, You Don't Have to Do That. This episode talks about your money. This may be the topic that gets people riled up faster than anything else. Why is my church asking for my money? What do they do with it? Am I supposed to be tithing? What is a tithe anyway? Chapter 6 of the book is called Money Matters. It's a short yet necessary chapter. It also serves as the final piece of our deconstruction work in the book. So the prior work that we've gone through talked about chapter 1, which is about religion and breaking that down. Chapter 2 is about the church and breaking that down, that structure that we have that we've become accustomed to. Chapter 3 is breaking down the Bible in a different way. Chapter 4 was looking at discipleship and spiritual growth and what it really means and doesn't mean. And chapter 5, the last chapter we looked at, was about clergy or pastors, that whole idea of church leadership and church hierarchy, and breaking that down. So all of these ideas that have become so prevalent in the church that we know, in our faith systems as we know it, with the way the church is set up as an institution and a structure, the way we teach the Bible, the way we run discipleship courses and education programs, the way we have clergy and pastors and church staff, all that means that there has to be some money involved somewhere. How do we pay for all of this stuff? So let's look at what's going on with some of the contemporary research around giving and tithing. Two in five practicing Christians give at least 10% of their annual income as a tithe. That's T-I-T-H-E. When it comes to generosity within the local church, just 21% of Christians set their church giving at 10% or more of their income. Typically, their giving varies, while one quarter, 25%, doesn't give to their church at all. So one in every four Christians, or churchgoers, I should say, don't give to their church at all. Practicing Christians are much more likely to set their giving to at least the customary 10% tithe. That's about 42% of them, though that means the majority of practicing Christians is still giving in lower or less predictable Amounts. All of this research comes from Barna Research, which is probably the leading research group when it comes to church practices and uh, Christian beliefs. 43% of Christians say that they know what the term tithe means. When U.S. adults are asked if they are familiar with the term tithe, about 2 in 5 or 39% indicate they are familiar and are able to provide a definition. The same percentage, however, indicates that they are unfamiliar with the term and one-fifth, 22% exactly, says they are familiar with the word but cannot recall its meaning. So when you add that 39 plus uh, 22, that's about 61, I think, if I'm doing the math correctly. 61% of Christians who um, cannot tell you what tithe means. When asked how much their congregation should be giving to the church, one in three pastors favors the traditional 10% tithe, but one in five feels like congregates should give enough to be considered sacrificial and, or as much as they are willing to give. Church leaders and Christians may wonder whether it matters if the tithe falls out of the mainstream. After all, church giving should not be reduced to an equation, and heartfelt, reverent generosity can be accomplished with or without deep knowledge of the tithe. Now, what I'm reading right now comes from Barna Research. So this is, this is their summary. These are their words. 
still as a fundamental scriptural idea of Christian stewardship becomes a hazy concept, it appropriately raises questions about how modern ministries approach funding and resources, and more importantly, about the broader culture of generosity being nurtured among Christians. So it is not uncommon for people who do this research to walk away and say, uh-oh, maybe the church is in trouble here. Maybe Christians aren't as generous as we thought they were. Uh, maybe people are stingy with their money because they're not tithing to their churches. I, not surprisingly, am going to take a different take on this now, although I certainly did not in the past. So let's talk about what I used to teach, and I get into this in the book. Malachi chapter 3, the book of Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament or the first covenant. And I used to use a passage out of Malachi just like it's commonly used in churches, kind of as a hammer to hit people over the head to say basically, see, um, you better tithe or else. Um, It's God's will. It's God's plan. It's right here in scripture in black and white. And so that's what you need to do. I was also guilty of using a very superficial reading of the text and did not account for the trajectory of the Bible like I get into in chapter 3. Suffice it to say, there is a better way to look at tithing, I believe, and the general practice of giving and stewardship than how I did it back then. So let's break this down very quickly I'm going to not really read um, a long excerpt or anything from this chapter, but outline a few points that I make on page 79 in chapter 6 on money madness. So what is the point of the tithe as it was described in the Bible? And when we look at any descriptions of tithing, we're definitely going to have to go back to the Old Testament. That will be a point I stress in just a moment. But let's go ahead and go back and do that. One of the tithes was instituted for the purpose of providing food for the Levites and giving them something to sacrifice to the Lord in offerings. It was a tithe given by other Israelites and received by the Levites. Now, the Levites were a particular tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. I will touch on that some more in a second as well. National festivals and celebrations become one of the other reasons for tithing. One of the tithes required of Israel was intended to provide for these corporate events, okay? Remember my emphasis in chapter 3 that the first covenant, the Old Testament, was about Israel developing a national identity. So we're talking in terms of nation building here and what might be more appropriate for a, a nation. And so you have these tithes, these funds, these sacrifices going towards the national festivals and celebrations. Thirdly, we have a description in the Law of Moses about the adequate care of what they called aliens. This would be foreigners, immigrants, the fatherless, widows, and the poor. So yet another tithe was expressly set aside for the purpose of serving these people who are facing hard circumstances. So we have three different tithes or kinds of giving that um, come up in the Old Testament. 
So I want to go to the end of the book very quickly here and mention a couple of things in the footnotes here in the end notes. Um, the Levites, as I mentioned, made up the priestly tribe. They were the only one of the 12 original tribes not allotted territory in the promised land. So some of the tithe was set aside to support them. Also, there are numerous scriptures that might help in understanding the background and context for some of the Old Testament tithing methods, including Leviticus 27, Numbers 18, Deuteronomy 14, and 26. So much about tithing actually relates to the Levites, the priestly tribe. This is why there is a carryover to supporting our clergy and pastors today. On the surface, what people are doing, and it looks like it makes sense on the surface, that if religious leaders of the ancient Israelite world were supported and compensated, then religious leaders of today should be supported and compensated as well. However, this is a failure to see the major differences between the two worlds. The biggest difference, of course, is that the priests back then were acting as intermediaries between God and man in such a way as to be facilitating animal sacrifices and offerings, uh, only the high priest, had access to the Holy of Holies, all of which Jesus made obsolete by fulfilling all the requirements on the cross. In, in fact, this is the whole point of the gospel. Through the Spirit of Christ, each of us now has a direct route to God that requires no religious hierarchy like was required back then. Now, the Levites were not even given a share of the land, as I mentioned, when entering the promised land like like the other tribes. So therefore, they had to be supported by others. Today, pastors, of course, can own property with no problem. So the cultural differences are vast uh, between these two worlds. So then when we get to the New Testament, the second covenant, where we, we find no command to tithe anywhere, ever. Okay, this, this is a point I want to stress and drive home. So I'm not really going to share much more from the chapter itself. This is one of those odd situations where I am going to go back to the end notes because what I break down in the back of the book is the end notes that, that look at some of these passages that are very commonly used by denominations and by churches to require tithing or ask people to tithe. And so here's what I point out. When reading through the passages usually listed to support tithing, one finds that tithing, quote-unquote, is remarkably absent from the scripture references in the New Testament. Here is the list of the more commonly used verses to promote tithing, along with their main points as I see them when read in context. So these are the passages that are used so often to say that we should be tithing or giving a 10% to our local church or denomination. Matthew 6, verses 24 through 34, which is really about not worrying because God meets our needs. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, which is a passage about the separation of the sheep and goats. And the point there is take care of the needy as a way to serve Christ. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. So in this account, Jesus tells a rich young man to sell everything and give to the poor if he wants to enter the kingdom of God. 
Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 24, is a parable about a rich fool so that we can warn the readers to guard against greed. That's the point of it. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, is a parable uh, to stress the point of putting your talent to work. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17 I'm not really sure what the thinking was as to why or how this gets thrown in as a proof text for tithing at all, but it's about the importance of abiding or remaining in Christ, and it illustrates how we are nothing apart from him. It is a passage of scripture I really dig into in chapter 4 about spiritual growth. It's the vine and the branches. Then we have Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. This is Paul's famous teaching about living sacrifices. There is a reference to sharing with those in need in verse 13 of that passage. So um, there are also others like 1 Corinthians 9 or 2 Corinthians 8 or 1 Timothy 6 that are also cited. These passages really discuss the rights of an apostle and encourage generosity and caution that the love of money can lead to evil. Here is the thing to know about all of these scripture references I just mentioned. None of them mention tithing. None of them are directives or commands that we are to tithe. So they are used, however, I've seen it, I've read through church manuals, they are used as the proof texts for tithing, but um, that would be an incorrect use of those passages. All right, so last thing here, wrapping up uh, page 81. I lost my page. There we go. We have no record of Jesus ever directing his followers to give tithes to anyone. We have no record of any first century church practicing the ritual of giving or receiving a tithe, period. Why? 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 Why would we not have that? And why is this such an issue? Because walking away from the New Testament with a belief that we were supposed to give God a percentage, a portion, a fraction, a tenth of anything would have been a gross misunderstanding of the gospel. That's why it's not there. That's why there's no confusion among the early church followers here. Jesus made it very clear that he did not demand 10% of your income or 10% of your time or 10% of your life. He demands it all. And that is the point with all of this. It is a radical reorientation of religion and faith and spirituality because of Jesus Christ, because of him coming onto the scene and his teachings and his sacrifice and his ministry and the fact that he is both divine and human, and can bring those two worlds together. So what I hope is apparent after these first six chapters of the book is that the deconstruction that we've gone through of the church, of the Bible, of discipleship classes, of clergy, and now of tithing and the use of money, that it is not based on a new fad or cultural preferences, but it is based on the Bible itself. What I tried to do is really look at Scripture intently and carefully. And what we find, quite honestly and quite frankly, and and quite shockingly, honestly, is that there is no scriptural basis 
for why we do church the way we do in America today. There is no scriptural basis for following the Bible and using it as a guidebook for life the way we do in America, in American churches today. There's no scriptural basis for designing our Christian education programs after the education system in the rest of society the way we do in most Christian churches in America today. There is no scriptural basis for having a special class of pastors or clergy to show us the way to God the way we do in American churches, American Christianity today. There is no scriptural basis for continuing to tithe the way we do in America today. In fact, the Bible teaches quite the opposite in almost all of these cases. The church is not a location or event, but an identity. It is not something we go to and certainly not something we build. It is the family of God that has been established by Christ himself. We are all part of the priesthood of believers. We are all ministers. We are all servants of the Lord. There are not two classes of Christians with the clergy and the laity. We are not expected to give God 10%. We are expected to give 100%. We don't practice the dietary restrictions, the burnt offerings, the animal sacrifices so common in the Old Testament for good reason today. And this is not only just a popular contemporary opinion or an opinion of mine. This has been the biblical reality and interpretation for centuries. So we have reached a pivotal point in this podcast and in our analysis of the book. Our deconstruction work is over. We are done with that part. It is time for a new direction. So from here on out, we will turn a corner and we will go from deconstructing to reconstructing. And we find that what is left is powerful and beautiful because it simply centers on Jesus and his teachings. So our next episode and the next chapter in the book really focus on what the most important question is that we will ever have to answer in this lifetime, and that will be the turning point, and that will be the filter and the lens that we use to go into the rest of the podcast and book and how we can find our way forward. If you're interested in this work at all, then you can definitely subscribe and share the work. You know how to find the book. All of those things will be linked in the show notes. But more than anything else, use whatever knowledge, inspiration, or resources you might find interesting or helpful in any of this content to help others around you realize the most important part of all, God is for you. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day.